Well, hello. Hi, babe. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Okay. Ready for our adventure? I am. I'm really excited about it. I've been looking forward to this all week. Mm, good. I'm glad. Me too. <laughs> now, tell me about this, because you, you called me in the middle of this week with an idea. What happened is, I, I kind of like woke up in the middle of the night and I thought, why don't, why don't I call Matthew and find out about us doing a blog? And I did, and you were on board, and now you're going to lead us into a new adventure. That's right. Um, I guess for people that are listening, we should probably introduce ourselves. Um, you already introduced me. My name's Matthew, and you are, of course, Ruth. Right. Uh, and we are about, um, Grandma, we're about 50 years apart, aren't we? Well, probably, uh, just about, right. So we thought, you know... Uh, because we're two generations, and we normally have, I would say, pretty incredible conversations that sort of go all over the place. And uh, we thought it would be kind of interesting to have them and have them as a podcast so that people could um, wind up getting a, a different taste of uh, your generation and my generation. Yes, yes. It, 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 definitely, uh, it definitely will span uh, the spectrum the, the horizons from from my from my beginnings to where we are today, and you are in the in the middle of of your you're very young you're you're just starting out and but you have a lot of experience in so many things. It'll be fun to share this with with other people and and maybe we'll get feedback and you know see how other people feel about what we're doing. We're gonna have um. Uh, like the mailbag, like Mister Rogers when he comes out with Mister McFeely. Ah, uh, are we gonna have are we gonna have uh, button down sweaters too, like Mister Rogers? <laughs> I'm I'm wearing a sweater over here. Did you did you not get the memo? Because uh, I have to talk to wardrobe. Uh, you're calling me from New Jersey, and I'm here in New York in Astoria, Queens. Right. And uh, we were talking about how we wanted to do this, and uh, you know we didn't want to do anything scripted. Um, and we just decided that we would sort of start out with a story and use that as a jumping off point and go from there. Go ahead, hon. My story. So I, for people who are, you know, just uh, meeting me for the first time, one of the things that I do is I work in coffee. Um, and I, I have a, a YouTube channel and I also have a subscription service that sends out a different coffee every month. And right now I'm spending a lot of time researching Yemen and coffee in Yemen. And, uh, I was really taken, I was listening to, uh, the story of, uh, this man named Mokhtar, um, whose parents wound up, uh, moving to the United States and raising him here and um, he was uh, in college and didn't, you know, really connect. I think he was going to law school. Um, he really found himself being drawn back to Yemen and wanting to uh, work in coffee in Yemen. And uh, what he said was his parents uh, just did not understand. Yeah. You know, they had worked so hard to get to the United States to give him this new life here. Yeah, yeah. And they couldn't understand why he would want to go back there. And I 
found myself really relating to this because, um, you know, I mean, on our in our family, uh, we have um, both on pop up side and on your side um, family that comes from Italy. And yes. we add, you know, we add some more countries too than on your side. Germany and Scotland. I mean, we we are the product of immigrants. This so many people today are want to tra- want to trace their roots, and we really, uh, you particularly, and and our family have have been so fortunate to have been able to trace our roots, and you especially have met, gone to Italy, and met so many of the people that we're related to. It, it's, for us, it was just terrific, just terrific. Tell, more, tell everybody more about, about tracing, about going to Bato Minaro. So... Yes, I I did I um I did trace down um our 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 family in uh, in Italy a couple of years ago and um yes they uh, are in a town called Grotta Minarda uh, and it it's funny because you know the the tracing aside and and meeting people which was wonderful and um yeah you know, I guess a whole um, other topic. Uh, it it uh, was interesting to me because my whole life, um, you know, you had sort of told me uh, about this town, which we didn't really even know how to spell it. Um, you know, we we were we were close on the pronunciation, but it, it was such an important thing um, and a, a meaningful thing to me because you know we had heard the story so many times. Um, and uh, and it, and what was interesting, it wasn't even uh, your family; it was Pop Up's yes, family. Yes. It, and and grandmas, his father and mother, both both of their parents had come from there. And I, I, you know, Grandma was uh, I I think I might have been three when Grandma passed away. But I mean, she was such a huge part of my life through stories, and through the stories uh, of holidays when when you were all younger. And I feel like you know all of this uh, gave us such a sense of pride about where we came from. I mean, for, for, for me especially, I, I was always looking for roots. And not that I didn't have, uh, you know, parents or anything, but I guess I, I, guess I, always, I always wanted to know what came before. And, and I think it's important to know, and, and God knows I'm not alone in this, I think it's so important to know what came before. It, it even it, it just gives you a sense of I don't know continuity and belonging, and and it's exciting. It's it's exciting to know about all these relatives, even if you never actually meet them. It gives you a sense of family, and um, it's really it's really so nice, so fulfilling. I think also for me there was this. Um... We moved to Wyoming when I was ten, and um, my brother and uh, my my parents. And I think there was this sense of nostalgia on nostalgia for me, where um, you know holidays had been a certain way up until the point that I was ten, with a you know a big Italian family. And um, you know when we moved to Wyoming, things were different. And um, you know um, 
mom tried really hard to get uh, Italian food and uh, Italian ingredients. And, um, you know, I, I know my dad, you know, was always looking for fish that, you know, we were used to. But it was it was hard, particularly back then in Wyoming, you know, um, it, there there were not a lot of options in the grocery stores that were, you know, even close to what we were used to because it was not a custom that they had there. And, and I remember, you know, there was a Christmas when, um, you, know, you know, I remember, I feel so bad, but, uh, you know, mom mom cried. And I'm, I, I absolutely get it, you know. Um, it was a big part of her life, too. Um, but I, I think, for me, those stories of uh, those holidays and those things were also a really easy way for me to reconnect in a way with something that had been a very big part of, um, you know, my life uh, that, that I didn't have while we were out there. Somebody, somebody else might think I'm crazy, but it's like blood calling to blood. I mean, when I, when I met Pop-Pop, and I went to his his parents' home. I mean, we were both very young, but it was like coming home. And 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 the family holidays. I mean, we we used to sit around, we'd be around the table and be laughing, and and it was so many different ages, and and um, there was just such a joyfulness about it, and so much fun. And I mean, it wasn't fancy. I mean, there was there was nothing fancy about it. It was wonderful, good food. It, everything smelled good. Everything tasted good. I mean, it was something that you just just enjoyed and you couldn't wait to do. And and it was just it was just great. It was wonderful for me, especially. It was wonderful because I I'm an only child, and we didn't have that. And and when I when we I went to Grandma's house and everything. It was just like coming home, and it was great. I loved it, and we all loved it. We had a wonderful time. Tell me more about it not being fancy, because I feel like so much money is spent on everything nowadays. Well, Grandma, Grandma was, Grandma was, she considered herself as a traditionalist, and and I think the, I think, in in actual fact, she was because I don't think that. She was raised in a family that had a lot of money for a lot of fancy things. Say, for instance, lobster. There was no lobster, you know, served on at Christmas Eve. We had eel. You had bacala. You had smelt. Uh, she made she made a wonderful fish stew. She she made something that I I don't know if anybody else made, and you know how much I loved them. She made pickled peppers and she stuffed them. And I mean, there was so many things that she made. She had, uh, she made, uh, you know, uh, ayanul, uh, with anchovies and, and, you know, olive oil. And I mean, all the things that she made and she did. And she worked not with a ton of, of equipment or anything. Sometimes she didn't have all the burners working on the stove. But you know what? She never, she never failed. I mean, everything was, delicious. I mean, at the end of the meal, we, she would she had made zeppelins, and they were to die for. And I mean, she'd do them in this little old ironstone pot, you know? And I mean, I think of it, I, I think my mother-in-law, she could do magic. And, and my father-in-law had made the, the, the wine. 
and the wine was fantastic. I mean, it was a wonderful, uh, hearty wine, and we all enjoyed it, probably more than we should have. And the kids had a good time. They ran around, and they played with the, each other, their cousins. I mean, it was it was wonderful. And, and I mean, uh, she had decorated the house. In fact, at one point, my mother-in-law had created... Um, a manger scene, but it wasn't just the manger. It was all the hills around it, and there was little tiny shepherds and everything. I mean, she was very, she was a, a woman of, of a lot of talents, very, I mean, that was gorgeous, I mean, that she did. And she did it, you know, a little at a time. I mean, this is what we had. I mean, you'd have, uh, she'd have uh, the eels. Did I, I don't know if I mentioned the eels. And I mean, she had the, and, and I could remember the bacala. She had, she had the bacala soaking in a big pan because it, it was dried and it had to be reconstituted. And, and there she'd have this eel soaking in this water to, to get it soft again. And you know what? It was, it, it was, and, and delicious crusty bread, which, you know, uh, I mean, for every Italian, uh, when you want you sit down you want a nice piece of crusty bread and with your meal and i mean just it was just wonderful and and there was just a it was just magical hmm. it was just wonderful I want to go back to to the notion of fancy for just a moment here um cuz i'm really curious about this now um tell me what was your and pop-up's wedding like um con- contrast it to say yes to the dress well, my my our wedding, our wedding we was uh, uh, you know it was definitely not on a level with say yes to the dress. I mean, Grandma, and my mother and I, we went downtown Newark, and we went to Orbach's department store, and I we I bought my wedding dress there, and it probably cost less than seventy five dollars, and and I mean, it was it had a a. a Big full uh, satin skirt and lace and stuff. It was it was a very pretty dress. I mean, and and I mean, uh, Pop Pop's uh, aunt she made uh, uh, a petticoat for underneath and some different things. I mean, our 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 life at that time was much less expensive than it is now. I mean, it was much simpler and and yet I mean it was it was good. I mean we had we had a good time and. Uh, you know, we had uh, uh, a lot of family around us. There, you know, there wasn't a lot of pretension, and people were more aware of what they had to spend, and they weren't going to go into debt. Uh, you know, I mean, it was it was uh, it, it was more in keeping. You know, it, you, you sort of lived within your budget, and I mean, but it was good. I mean, we had a great time, and as I said, I mean, I could remember going with my mother to look for that dress, and I mean, we were married in a at a beautiful church, and it was everybody, you know, was thrilled. I mean, it's hard to explain. I mean, when you close your eyes, I mean, as I said. And I mean, I could remember walking down the aisle and people saying that I had a big smile on my face, and and there was pop up waiting for me there. And why wouldn't I have a smile on my face? I mean, I was going to marry the love of my life, and 
And he had a smile on his face. And, of course, he teased me afterwards and told me he had to come to church even in the middle of a football game that he was watching. But, I mean, you know, so, but he said it was okay. He, he was glad he came, you know. But, I mean, it was, it was just, it was just good. And, and, I mean, I'm not saying that life was always perfect because it wasn't. But those were perfect things. Those were perfect times. And it was, it was spent with family. And uh, everybody pitching in and making it uh, special. Hmm. I am. Um, a couple of years ago, I went to Cambodia to volunteer, um, and I, I guess I should probably. <laughs> that's it's not. A, you know, let me just throw that aside. I guess I should elaborate on that just a little bit. Um, I went to Cambodia and uh, volunteered with this organization called Ozcam Freedom Project, and. Um, it was run uh, by this um, amazing woman named Julie, uh, who had come to Cambodia to work for another organization. And while she was there, um, she and her husband, uh, Jeff, um, wound up uh, finding that these women that they had met and known um were going through uh, some some hardships and were you know not living in safe conditions and in fact she was able to get them out of there um, and uh, they started a home uh, for um, women who it, it it evolved into a situation there it was for women who had been victims of trafficking and um, she uh, was able to um, you know, give them counseling and um, help them uh, find their place in the world, uh, you know, whether through jobs or spirituality or um, food and, and, you know, any uh, sort of thing. They did resume uh, classes. They took yoga. Um, they did amazing things uh, for them. And I think I, I was moved not just by the women that I worked with, but also, you know, by uh, a lot of the people that I met in Cambodia, some of them who you know, were, were particularly poor. Um, but these were women who had, you know, they didn't know who their families were. They'd yeah. been through big hardships. And then, you know, there were people who I met who were living, living on the side of the road in corrugated shacks. And the thing that I found in common with almost all of the people that I met there is when you sat down to a meal, they smiled and they laughed and they had a good time and they enjoyed each other. And they were so... Uh, connected. And and I actually, I had a bit of culture shock uh, when I came back to the United States because um, here it, it's, you know, you find people, people are not uh, like that. There's, there's a lot of, you know, where is this and why didn't I get this? And uh, yeah. yeah, and it, it seems to me that, you know, just sometimes when, when people have less, they're able to focus on, you know, what they do have. You know, you're, you're right, baby, because the bottom line is that we are so blessed here in this country. Many, not all of us, but many of us are so blessed, and we're so used to this. And and sometimes you have to do what you did in order to see. See, you got, what is it? What is the expression? You got to see the forest for the trees. And and it's true. But there, if their situation is getting better, they're appreciating it. And sometimes the more you have, you know, if, if you don't know, remember Harry, the Harry Potter movie 
when uh, his cousin has the birthday. I forget the kid's name now. And and he had, I don't know. D- D- Dudley. Yeah, and Dudley drive. There's not as many as last year. Well, we got you a bigger one. I don't care. And then, And that's the problem. I mean, sometimes we need to be grateful for one one little thing because that one little thing is given with love. And that lady that you're talking about, she was giving them love and protection, and she didn't have to do that. She didn't come from there. I mean, but she went there because she felt called. Mm. And that's wonderful. And for you, it was wonderful because you got to see this. She really is um, a wonderful person. I, uh, I, I, I learned a lot from her, but I think one of the things that really stuck with me was uh, about helping other people. Uh, have you seen the episode of Seinfeld where the Pakistani, well, it, it's at the time, it's just a restaurant opens across the street from Jerry? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a funny episode because it's a restaurant that opens up across the street from Jerry and he's like peering out his window and like very concerned about it for some reason because nobody's ever going into this restaurant. So he like decides, you know, pretty much, I guess, in his mind that he is going to be the person to go in and patronize the restaurant because he feels bad for it. And it sort of like becomes ridiculous where he, you know, first he recommends, you know, I mean, the, the menu has like all these things on it, like fettuccine Alfredo and chow mein and, you know, whatever else is on there. But he's like, Babu, have you ever considered that maybe you'd be the only Pakistani restaurant in the neighborhood and you should close down? And so, you know, the owner closes down and reopens and Jerry doesn't go right back in, you know, right for the opening. But he is walking around thinking he is the most amazing guy. And isn't he wonderful because he saved this business. And, you know, it just took him to tell this guy what to do. Well, of course, the business isn't doing all that well. And the guy, you know, winds up being like furious at him. But I I think there's something to this, you know, where it's like, aren't I wonderful? I'm going to help people and you can show up someplace and not do a lot of good. And, um, you know, that that happens. That happens in the real world, not, you know, just with like, hey, I went to patronize a restaurant. But um, there were a lot of organizations, unfortunately, in um, Cambodia that, you know, it's it, they have like CEOs that are out showboating and, you know, sort of enriching their lives. And are they doing something that's good? You know, they they they, they probably are doing something that's good. But their organization is spending tons of money, you know, on uh, on stature and you know media and posturing and um, and and I don't think it's ill intent, but there's a better way to go about it. And you know, I, I think Julie always was very big on empowering the people who were there to run the organization and have a stake in the organization and you know be involved in the future of the organization. Well, you know, it's funny with the way you're what you're saying now. I mean, again, with a saying, what is it? It, uh, Give somebody a fish, but if you teach them to fish, they'll be able to fish for themselves for life. That's exactly the way it sounds. But when, you know, when we talk about your coffee business, one of the things that always fascinates me is when you think about coffee, you don't think, I did not think about Yemen or the Congo or, or so many different places that coffee comes from. And that every one of these places that succeeds in growing coffee and exporting coffee is helping people in those places and not as a charity. 
and and they're they're exporting a wonderful product. They're making money on it. And uh, Guatemala, you know, you went to Guatemala. I mean, each of those things is is an is an is a way to open the door to a better to a more profitable life and economy. And and again, it isn't a charity. And and it it's the one hand washes the other type thing. It gives opportunity to so many people. And you have learned so much about the world over over the last God knows ten years or more. And and the world the world is not different. Everybody needs to have the the means to live and to be able to care for their family. And we all need to be connected and to to uh, to do that to help support each other, right? Oh, you're right. You're you're absolutely right. Um, I think it's human nature for us to search for deals, and you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with you know getting a good deal, but with with coffee in particular and a lot of other things, um, you know, there there are a lot of people that get squeezed in the middle of something and. You know, you look at how much the person on the other end of your deal is getting, and they're ju- they're just not they're not getting enough to live. You know, you're right. It, I I hear people my age who are not in having a problem financially, and all they're worried about is this ten percent discount for seniors. And and you're right. Sometimes for somebody to get ten percent off that doesn't need it. You're you're penalizing somebody else that does need it, who who's trying to make a living. How can we, how can we help each other globally and and nationally and everything? In the end, the more successful each person is, the more successful we all are. It's it's just economic common sense. And 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 as I said, I I am fascinated when I hear you talk about all the different all the different places that, you know, you're getting coffee from. And that's only one small thing. I mean, it's, it's not a whole world. You know, it's, it's, it's the world of coffee. And, and I think it's interesting. I think it's very interesting. And I kind of think that, I think a lot of people would think it was interesting. When I was in uh, Guatemala, um, <laughs> this was very, very bizarre. I was down there and staying in a hostel by Lake Atitlan. And I was the only person in this room. Uh, This guy walks in and you always introduce yourself. That's my favorite thing about staying in a hostel is you meet people from all over the world. I have friends everywhere and I I love that. Um, So anyway, he walks in and I says, hi, I'm Matthew. And he says, hi, I'm Ryan. And I said, where are you from? And he said, Wyoming. Oh, my and gosh. <laughs> I, and I was like, no, I'm from Wyoming. And uh, he said, where in Wyoming? He says, Casper. And I said, no, I'm from Casper. And so <laughs> anyway, we get down to graduation year. And he was like, wait a minute. You used to babysit for me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, it's it was it was this guy, uh, Ryan Loho. And. It, it just blew my mind because, uh, you know, I thought of him as like a little kid. But, you know, as an adult, he was not that much younger than me. You know, when you're when you're young, a couple of years is a big difference. But yeah, yeah. 
anyway, um, we caught up and it was really interesting. He was working in social entrepreneurship in uh, the DR and he was working with Cacao. And it's it's very similar. It's it's exactly well. I mean, it, it's it's a whole world of um, of people who are farming cacao and not making a living um, because they're being sold into a commodity market. And and you know there are people that are doing better, uh, but it's we think of it as hey it's chocolate, but chocolate is not chocolate. Anything that is a crop. They're all different depending on where they're from and, you know, what the weather's like and how much water it gets and what the elevation is. And it's amazing to me. I, I find that to be very interesting. And I think that's, that's generational too. You know, now you go in the grocery store and an apple is an apple, but I mean, back when uh, you were younger, I think getting food was certainly different. Well, it was, it was not as, there was not as big a variety as, as it is now, and it was very seasonal. I mean, back when I was a kid, apples were, you know, Macintosh apples. I mean, there was, as I said, there was not the variety. I mean, you had bananas, you have an apple. You know, I don't remember ever having or seeing a mango or uh, you had oranges, you know. But, I mean, there was a, a basic sort of things. And, and, again, as I said, everything was seasonal. And, and, you know, there was the A&P, but it was definitely not a supermarket as we see it today and all the stuff there. I mean, it, we, we were, uh, when I was a kid, people were much less sophisticated. It was, it, the world was much less sophisticated. I mean, on the level that I grew up. And, and I mean, you would never, as I said, you'd never think in terms of a lobster unless you were living in Maine. I mean, when you lived in uh, the city of Newark, uh, there were there were areas, neighborhoods, and you know you you had you know things that on that level, but you didn't you didn't have what you have today. Today, um, you go into any supermarket worth its name, and you've got stuff there that we never would have heard of. I mean, when if you were talking about something Chinese Chinese restaurant when I was a kid. You, you, it pretty much had, you know, big deal, chow mein. And I mean, it was great. It was fine. It tasted good. But, but the thing of it is, is you did not know, uh, the, you didn't have the same sophistication or the things available to you that you have today. Today, the world is on your doorstep. When, of course, um, you know, I, I had never seen the great British Bake Off. But then I went to the dentist. Great. That's a great show. Yeah. I figured you would like that show. I think you would too. Well, I, I did. <laughs> I, I, you're right. Um, no, I, I was, I've only seen the one episode. I was at the, uh, the dentist office and, um, you know, they're, they're sitting there working on my teeth and I was watching this and I had never seen it before, but I, I sort of like clocked everybody and, um, you know, the the young guy, uh, I guess, wound up being the, the one who uh, won. Um, uh, spoiler, spoiler alert. Um, sorry. I hope I didn't ruin that for anybody. But um, they were interviewing them that day and um, they asked him, you know, how did you how did you get involved in baking? And he said, well, I grew up watching the great British Bake Off. And, and, and the male host was like, 
oh, yeah, you're making me feel so old. And, uh, uh, but, but I, I, you know, in, in general, though, media has really put a huge emphasis on food and interesting types of food. I mean, you, you watch Chopped, and uh, there's, I think, so much interest now. People are so much more adventurous yeah. uh, in food uh, than they used to be. Well, you know, when I was a kid, they weren't as adventurous with food because, you know, they, they, as I said, they were not particularly sophisticated. I mean, it wasn't like they were barbarians. They weren't. I am sure that the more educated somebody was, maybe the more, ta- you know, traveled they were, the more things were, were, you know, coming across uh, their table. But, I mean, if you had the average person, you, you, you know, the expression meat and potatoes. And, and I mean, you know, this was, this was the way, unless you were from an ethnic background. And then, of course, your food was, your food, your food uh, foundation was, was from the ethnicity that you were from. But, again, uh, to get those things, in some cases, if you wanted to get things for a specific ethnicity, you had to go to a little place. A little this, little that, you know, and they had a little stores that sold those things. But I mean, you had to be dedicated to want that. And in today's world, you can get it in your grocery, in your in your supermarket, and and you know, you see this. I mean, people are more willing to try new things now. And oh, like you said with Seinfeld, I mean, there's tons of little of little restaurants of all ethnicities. You see that on, um, you know, on television, or even on the television news. They'll highlight a small a restaurant here and there, uh, mainly, uh, you know, in, in maybe the New York area, New York, the Bronx, Brooklyn, wherever. And they'll highlight a little, a little restaurant from some obscure place that is, you know, selling these, their wonderful cuisine. And when you eat it, you think, oh, that's delicious. So the guy who does diners, drivers, and dives or whatever, he's also always coming up with some place that, that'll cook uh, something really interesting. And it's not just a hamburger. So, I mean, it's, it's good for us as human beings to, to, ha- to see to have these varieties, you know? It- that's one of my favorite things about living in New York, actually, because I do. I think food can introduce you to different cultures and places, and I love that about it. Um, Recently, I was telling a friend that I love New York because, I mean, one of the reasons, uh, but every time I go travel somewhere, I'll come back and I can find some enclave here. No matter how small it is, there's a community here from that part of the world. And I was explaining that to him, and he said, yeah, that's every downtown. You can find that everywhere. But we feel like that's true, but it really isn't. You know, I think we see so much through the internet and on television. We think <laughs> we think we know it all, but when I travel, I discover so many things. I'm not talking about like a few things. I'm talking about tons of things that I just don't know about, you know, that I've never even heard of. Um, we have bits and pieces, but, um, you know, when I went to Italy, I was so taken by the food in Venice. And people keep saying to me, you know, what's the difference? Why is it, you know, not Italian food? Well, 
it's very different. It's very, very different. Um, Venice was a big port, and Italy wasn't one big country. It was several different territories. And Venice was really influenced by cultures from all over the world. And it's surrounded by water, so it's heavy on fish, and they're they're very big into small little bites uh, that they call sacchetti, and I love those. Uh, for me, I, I was so taken by it. Um, and I came back, and New York has, I think, three places that serve Venetian food. And when I was in Chicago earlier this year, I was like, I wonder if they have Venetian food. They don't. And... I looked, uh, not only in Chicago, I looked in LA, um, just online, but they didn't have it, you know? And when I came back from Guatemala, I was like, where's the good Guatemalan food? And, you know, New York has a plethora of them. I haven't checked them out really because of COVID, but, you know, no matter how obscure the places that you go, it, it feels like there's at least a handful of people here. Well, you know, naturally, everybody is not adventurous. And, I mean, uh, you know, and I, personally, I think part of being adventurous food-wise is to have an imagination. And you kind of tie it together, and you're willing to, you know, stretch out your hand. I mean, when, when you think about it, and we talk about Italy, and people talk about pasta and pizza and so forth and so on, and then you think Marco Polo went to, who was, wasn't he a Venetian? And he went to Cafe, which is China, and found out that they made pasta, noodles, and, and brought the concept back. And I mean, you know, I mean, it's crazy when you think about it, because, again, of these old things, nothing is new under the sun. And it, you could go back 2,000 years. And and find things. Uh, what did what they talk about? Now they make a lot of craft beers. Beer was a big thing in ancient Egypt. Mm. That was a beverage that everybody drank. And and I mean every single day, you you can stumble on something that you expect you would you accept as belonging now that belonged two thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. And and I mean and. Nothing wrong with that. It's great. It's wonderful to think that we all we've all thought these things. I mean, it's like uh, wasn't it was it goats or something that discovered coffee beans or all these different things? Um, how people stumbled on them. I think I don't know about you, but a lot of times you know you'll say, "Well, how did that? How did that begin? How did somebody find that?" I mean, eating something again, eat lobsters. You, lobsters are not the most gorgeous animal. And someone said, whoever thought that they had the idea to eat that lobster? I, maybe they saw another, maybe they saw an animal eating it or something. Or, or I mean, birds have dropped, uh, you know, clams on a rock and broken it open and eaten what was in it. So maybe human beings saw that. I mean, who knows? Yeah, I love that beer is a part of our culture because uh, you know back in the day it was safer to drink beer, you know, than it was water. You know, the water could be bad because you know people were nomadic and you know they they didn't know about waste management and uh, you know if you were drinking water you might get cholera, but if you drank beer, you know you were probably going to be okay. Yep, that's right. I know beer. 
those things, I mean, were safer to drink rather than regular water. And, and I mean, again, <laughs> yeah. and uh, it, it's funny. It, none of these things are rocket science. They're sort of like trial and error. They, they, um, how people discovered that if you ferment something, it becomes beer or whatever. I mean, somehow or other, they've, human beings stumbled on all these things. I mean, we think today that we are so advanced. But if you go back a couple thousand years, that was an advancement for somebody who was, you know, not primitive, but, you know, struggling to learn the world to, to, to create all these things. The, that's the foundation for everything that has happened in the world. It's it's true. It's like it's like how penicillin was created. That that was a happy accident. And um, you had somebody in that situation who knew what to do, who knew how to take that from an accident into you know something that was beneficial. But it's also amazing how much we really don't know. I was reading recently about aluminum and um, whether or not it's linked to dementia or Alzheimer's. And there have been a lot of studies done on that, you know, uh, and for a while they thought that it did cause dementia. And then they came out with a whole bunch of studies that no, it, it doesn't. And, you know, you look at the big organizations now um, that study this and, uh, you know, or support it, and they're saying, no, there's there's no link. But But also really it seems like it's kind of an inconclusive thing. Like even dementia and Alzheimer's, you know, where, where does it come from? We, we really don't know. We've studied it a lot, uh, but we just, we don't have a definitive answer. We're leaning towards no, that's all we've got right now. And that's fascinating. It's really, it's really interesting. You know, all this work that we've done that that's, that's, that's all we know. Yeah. It, it, it's always, all these things are interesting. It was like when we were saying about wine. The, the wine in the, the jugs, or the, whether they were made, it was, they were fired and they were created with lead. And the lead leached into the, to the, to the drink and caused madness. Hmm. Yet it probably didn't happen to everybody. And, and that's an, a thought that I've always had. Why doesn't it happen to everybody? I mean, there's, there's no... This will cause this, and it will cause it 100%. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just a lucky chance that one that you're not the person that that's going to happen to. But again, every day there's a new question, and every day there's a new answer. That's why you and I love Jeopardy, because that's... every day <laughs> there's questions <laughs> and answers. Yes. Yeah, you talk about questions and answers. The lead, you know, how many years did that go on that they were putting lead in things and it was causing problems? I mean, from the from the Romans, uh, you know, onward. Yeah. I mean, it took a really long time before finally somebody said, you know, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. yeah. And and I mean, it's it's a good thing if we can fix the things that need to be fixed and and. It, it, and it benefits other. It benefits a lot of people. There's always ups and downs. That's part of life. But if we know something's wrong, and we fix it, that's a good thing. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's a good thing. 
Hey, like, kiddo. We have- we've been to- we've been talking for a while. Well, I we went longer than we were supposed to, but I think we had a pretty good uh, pretty good first time. Yeah, I thought we had a good visit. Uh, should we should we leave? Uh, should we say well we were like texting Jinx? What do you think about that? Should we throw that in and see if people can figure out who texted Jinx or? Ah, yeah, I like the way you're thinking there, Grandma. Okay, um, yeah, I'm on board with that plan. You know, this will be the the cliffhanger. That's right. And I happen to have a very juicy uh, Tex and Jink nugget to share with you next time, too. Oh, tell me now? No, 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 no. No, we just set the cliffhanger. It was such a good idea. Oh, we got it. You'll tell me the next time, right? That's right. Next time. I will. Good. I love those those nuggets, those those wonderful nuggets. Now, I'll let you sign us off. All right. Because you're the boss, and you go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. I'm Matthew. And I'm Ruth. And we don't have a title yet, but <laughs> maybe maybe by the time you download this, we will have figured out. Wait, is that going to be king and queen, or queen mom, or, or, or as, as in title, or, or just joke? Uh, we got first <laughs> podcast. We we got a diva on our hands here. Uh, now we will. We'll figure it out. Um, okay. Great talking to you, Grandma. Talk to you soon. Okay. Love you, babe. Love you too. Bye.